Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Welcome podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. With us today are Erica Olinger and Isabel Irvine from the Cole Pratt Gallery, a leading contemporary fine art gallery in New Orleans, which specializes in works of Southern artists. Erica became owner of the gallery after Cole Pratt's passing in 2008, and Isabel is the gallery manager. Andy and I were introduced to Erica and Isabel through our friend Marie Bukowski, an artist represented by the gallery. Thank you both for joining us. Hey, thanks for having us. Let's start by having you say your names and tell us a little about yourselves. My name is Erica Olinger. I am... A native New Yorker, but I've been in New Orleans for a very long time. Um, I have a background in art. Um, I have an MBA, so I have that perfect right brain, left brain balance that has been able to keep this gallery um, as kind of the forefront of the art world here in New Orleans for 30 years. And I'm Isabel Irvine. I uh, was born in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, My mother is from New Orleans, so I came back home to New Orleans after I graduated from college and um, I've been here at the gallery for three years. Great. And uh, Isabel, you're the gallery yes. manager, correct? Yes. I'm the yes. gallery. Okay, great. Sure. Uh, um, and so could each of you tell us a little bit about your roles in the gallery? What does, um, Erica, what does an owner do on a daily basis? And uh, Isabel, what does the gallery manager do on a day-to-day basis? Uh, let's start with uh, Isabel. Is that okay? Yes, absolutely. So um, my role is kind of the ins and outs of of daily life at the gallery. So I am the person who sits in the front ready to greet anybody as they come in. I also, you know, try to keep our our artists in line and (laughs) on track in their creative process as they get ready for upcoming shows and and things of that nature, um, as well as as the publicity and kind of day-to-day just inventory management kind of uh, aspects of the gallery. Sure. So I'm going to interject here. Isabel's being very modest. Isabel is the person <laughs> that keeps the gallery running. And I, um, I, I view my role as kind of the big picture. And so I find that my presence is, although still needed at the gallery, I find that being out in the world is better for gallery publicity for me personally. And so most of my clients, um, my local clients need a sort of a visual reminder that 
hey, we're here. And even if I'm just not out talking about art, I'm still connecting with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Erica, you said the gallery has been around for 30 years and I'm wondering what's changed in the art world in that time and how you've had to adapt. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> so 30 years, 30 years is a long time. Um, when I started working for the gallery, the previous owner did everything on paper. And by that, I mean inventory. He would send out postcards and write out a name on 750 postcards every month, uh, which meant that I was writing names on 750 postcards every month. Um, So contacts were manual, inventory, sales, everything was manual. Um, Obviously, things have become digitized. And so over the course of the last 30 years, much more of our presence has become electronic and web-based. Social media, of course, is now part of the world, which it wasn't 30 years ago. Um, My goodness. Just about about (laughs) everything. Sales is now, um, I mean, I guess about half of their sales are now done digitally. Mm -hmm. Um, Even in the past three years. So it's, it's, it's been shifting a lot. The, the art and business world moves, moves pretty rapidly. So you have to, you have to buckle in and keep up. Mm-hmm. So, so digitizing those contacts, that's probably one of the first things you had done. Uh, that was most definitely that. The, so digitizing the contacts, digitizing the inventory, and simultaneously um, the advent of our website. And we are, that is a constant work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask, was there any particular piece of that that like, you know, uh, was was more difficult than the other, or is it something that just continually evolves, you know, over time? It really evolves. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think anything is more difficult than anything else. It's just learning new um, new platforms and yeah. learning how to use them effectively. Sure, yeah. And so, Erica, what was that transition like for you going from um, you're working at the gallery and then transitioning to the owner? Um, was it something that happened suddenly or was it something that was planned for and you, so you were able to kind of uh, do it over time? And I can tell by the smile on your face that our listeners can't hear uh, that maybe that's not the case. Uh, yeah. So would you mind describing that a little bit for us? I don't mind at all. Um, it okay, was, great. It thanks. was very sudden. Um, okay. So do a little background. I, I had Isabel, I worked in Isabel's position for 15 years and Cole Pratt, the founder of the gallery, and I worked very closely together. Um, I had a baby November 30th of 2007, and Cole had a heart attack on April 1st of 2008. So I had a five-month-old infant. I had huge amount of postpartum depression, and then my best friend and mentor passed away, and it was Mm. like, my world just turned upside down and, you know, everything started spinning and uh, no, it was definitely not planned. Um, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do for the first, 
you know, few weeks. And then just because there's estate issues to deal with and, you know, all, all sorts of things, if anybody's had to ever deal with um, the passing of a family member even or anything that you're in charge of the estate. I was in charge of Cole Pratt's estate and um, with all the legatees and everything else, we just, my husband and I just decided it was better to purchase the gallery and move forward. And so that's what we did. Um, October 1st of 2008, it officially became mine. And so now we're 14 years on as my business. And um, you, you mentioned earlier that you have your MBA. Did you get your MBA before or after the gallery ownership? Was that it was um, before. It was before? Okay. So, yeah. So you had some sort of uh, knowledge of, of maybe what, what some of those issues could be going into it. Um, but also, did you have, so d- did you seek outside help in terms of attorneys or accountants or that sort of thing to kind of help sort through what that looks like? Yes, yes. Um, but again, because I'd worked for so many years within the gallery, I'd been given yeah. responsibility, financial or otherwise, that quite honestly, the transition was rather seamless. Um I, I did not lose a single artist. Everybody knew me because I had been part of the decision-making process on who to choose to be represented here. Um, everybody was very supportive. And the way that, I think the way that this, that the transition happened could not have been more seamless. Um, mm. I think had somebody new come in, I think the business would not have survived. Yeah. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, and it's a it's a good segue into the next question here. Could you describe the process of finding artists and all that goes into representing them? Sure. Mm-hmm. Do you want to Sure. Um yeah, so that's actually one of one of my um favorite parts of the job. I love to just, you know, look around on Instagram or different artists websites through, you know, when there are group shows and and things like that nearby, we always like to stay abreast of, of who's new and up and coming. And, you know, we have people that submit to us and we find people that way. Sometimes we have, you know, trusted clients and artists suggest people um, as well, but it's always very fun to see where the direction um, of kind of where, where the breath and the life of the art world is heading in, in the South. And, and it's fun to stay abreast of, of what's new and what's happening. Yeah. I'm going to add to that. So the, the focus of this gallery's artist stable is artists who have some connection to the South. And so Marie Bukowski, as you mentioned earlier, used to live in Louisiana where she was, um, I don't remember her title, but she she worked at Louisiana Tech University and uh, I represented her. So that was originally our our connection to to Marie. Marie has since obviously moved north. She's, you know, a powerhouse figure of Kent State. So we're so happy for her for that. Um, But just to um, sort of continue what Isabel was saying, a lot of the other artists are. Um, the artists that we find are through word of mouth from our current artists mm-hmm. and might not just be from them directly, but through the galleries that they are represented by in other places. And so you know, they tell two friends and then they tell two friends. And then I'm, I'm also happy to say that we, we are 
very happily bringing on new artists, but we also have a very stable foundation of artists that we've had for some over 20 years. And we're really happy with those relationships too. Do you have a limit to the number of artists that you want to work with or just it changes organically? It seems to stay relatively stable, the numbers. Um, you know, we haven't had just a wild influx of say 20 artists in a year or anything like that, but we do tend to have, you know, a little more give or take 50 artists in our stable. Part of that depends on the type of work Mm -hmm. that artists Mm -hmm. are producing. Part of that depends on, um, uh, in, in the almost 30 years that I've been doing this now, there there's definitely seasonality to an artist's production. Nobody can create consistently and constantly 365 days of the year, they'll get burnt out. Um, So there are some years that artists are more productive than others and they produce more paintings, more sculpture, more photography, more prints. Um, You know, so 50 seems to be a good number, but really we're limited only by the, the space that we have here. And we're, we're fortunate that I have about a 3000 square foot gallery space um, but you know, like everybody, storage is always mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, both two D and three D work, or two mm-hmm. D and three D work. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, we tend to focus more on two D, mostly because of space issues. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, we love sculpture. We love three D work. Sure. Um, and so you 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 mentioned um, all of your artists have some connection to the South. Uh, and so what is that? Um, how is the work of the artists that you represent in the gallery as a whole sort of influenced by where you are being in New Orleans, sort of the history, the tradition, the culture of New Orleans? Is that is that part of what the gallery does or how does that tie into sort of the Southern common thread of your artists? So different. Let me let me do a segue there. Uh, when Cole Pratt opened up the gallery, Cole Pratt was from Mississippi. And if you okay. ever met anybody from Mississippi, you know that Mississippians are great storytellers. They are um, extraordinarily friendly people and have never met a stranger. That being said, they are likely related to many of the people that they're talking to just because folks from Mississippi tend not to move beyond um I don't know. I'm, I'm saying this sort of generally, but um, sure. there, there's a there's a, a regionality. So people are out of their heritage and often don't move very far beyond where they're yeah. from. So, Home, yeah. Right? Social so, norm in, in uh, Mississippi. The social norm, exactly. Yeah. So Cole started this gallery with the idea that Southern arts, particularly writing, particularly cooking, um, had been, has had tremendous uh, commercial success and the visual arts had not been recognized at this point 30 years ago to having been um, a viable and strong force in the art world. And so the idea was when he opened the gallery that the let's see how I say this, the, that the work that we show was extraordinary work, just not as commercially successful as it could be. So it's a value, and I'm going to use value in quotes 
just sure. and our job as we have you know progressed over the last couple of decades has been to promote these artists and not just these artists but the artists we represent as a culture a southern culture and it seems to have taken off because locally um, there is a it's not new anymore but within 10 years after we started the gallery there is a an enormous museum here, the Ogden Museum for Southern Art, that was started and founded based on what our premise was. And the Ogden Museum of Art is a, it started out as one man's collection of Southern artists. Mm. The, it has it has grown far beyond that. So um, I feel like we're so pioneers in this, in this niche. Was that museum inspired by what Cole Pratt had done or was just serendipity? Um, I think there was a little serendipity, but I also believe that Cole Pratt um, sort of cemented the idea a little bit um, because the the gentleman whose collection um, was donated, there's a good bit of work from from this gallery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So easy to assume. So this is a question for both of you. What what do you think young artists should know about the art world that they may not learn in school, say, pricing art or sales commissions, how galleries promote arts, and, and et, et cetera? you want to answer that? You want to sure. Um, I think, first of all, for young artists, that it's a really great time to be experimenting and finding out what your voice is in your work. I think a lot of young artists start out being largely commission-based just because that's a a kind of safe way to make sure you're being paid for your work. But I think it's it's really crucial to take that time if you, you know, can afford to, to really develop your own body of work and do the kind of work that makes you happy and that you want to represent yourself rather than um, what a client may want you to, to do, but. So more thinking about more like depth of work rather than just single transaction. Yes. Is, is that kind of what, what you're, what you're thinking? Yes. Well, it doesn't need to be anything crazy, like, okay. you know, years worth of, of work stockpiled, just, you know, a few pieces where we can really see, who the artist is, kind of where the progression may go. And that also that there is enough um, enough inspiration and enough drive to continue to produce that kind of work. Um, sure. You know, especially as you as you finish up at at grad school or college or somewhere like that, yeah. you're being, you know, pushed along into producing this work to make sure that artists as they continue through their career are going to continue to produce that high quality work. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I think I may have interrupted another response to the question of what, what do, what do emerging artists need to know that maybe they don't know? So what emerging artists need to know is that their style is likely to change the younger they are. And so the more, the more practice that they can backtrack practice isn't the right word um the more they can actually practice this right word the more they can practice their craft 
at mm-hmm. creating, um, they'll more quickly get to what their their the common thread is in their work that moves their work forward. And so, yeah. I'll just give you an example. I have pulled probably in the last 10 years, five or six artists out of a graduate school program. And like, I've loved their senior thesis exhibitions. And without fail, none of those artists work two years later, looked anything like what their grad school thesis was. And no, no, hard feelings either way, right, um, right, yeah. but, but it wasn't what I was looking for within the gallery. And so perhaps, perhaps my recommendation would be to go and explore your work and where it's going to lead you out of grad school before seeking gallery representation. Yeah. I just want to circle back to the first part of that question or, or one of the examples is pricing art. How do you advise artists when pricing their art or how do you advise artists to price their art so i'm i'm on the conservative end of this pricing spectrum i like to especially with new artists or younger artists i don't like the idea of their work not selling and thinking price is the issue and so i tend to start much lower and then if a body of work sells very quickly, then I know that the work is good, my clients like it, and the next group of work, the pricing gets increased. And so, it's not a, typically, it's not a a fast, oh, I'm going to double the prices. It's going to be, oh, maybe this is a 10% increase in price. Maybe this is a 20% increase in price. But the starting point um, sort of depends on the work and the person and if they have any experience showing in the world. Um, But, but it's definitely a conversation between the gallery and an artist. It's not something that I set directly with younger artists with mid-career or established artists. um, Those folks typically have a pricing history and we just go along with that to start with and see where, where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I don't think we've heard uh, that before. Well, the first yeah. part of that. Yeah. Um, and so what would you say is the hardest part about running running a gallery? Hmm. Shipping. <laughs> shipping. <laughs> I, that's a great answer. Today, shipping might be right. an issue. Uh, right. We've, love had, that. we've had yeah. some issues with the uh, freight carriers of late. Um, okay. With artwork being damaged. So uh-huh. free. Any artists out there that yes. are hearing this, their yes. work sometimes gets damaged in shipping. Um, Is that using like a national sort of company, like a UPS, a FedEx, or are there specific? Um, There's specific like, freight companies, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm yeah, not going to no. no that but, that's fine. I, I right. you, know, you certainly don't have to. I just didn't know if they were big national. Uh, companies or if they're kind of more regional local no, I think I think even even regular uh, people out in the world understand the frustration of, of shipping not not necessarily yeah. for yeah. just art and that's that's a more of a, a today sure issue. Yeah. the the hardest parts can always always change but so I'm, those oh, works are insured <laughs> and I'm I'm sure they're packed properly and they're insured right oh yes of course yeah but so 
So, so now you, you've piqued my curiosity. Are they lost? Are they damaged? Damaged. What typically happens? They're damaged. 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 And and just the price of shipping is is very high these days. So it's just um, yeah. So I think like any business, though, every every aspect of an art gallery business has changed in the last three months. I mean, three years. Excuse me. In the last three years, because there's there's still like so. Let's take consolidation. There's frame companies that we used to use regularly that are no longer in business. They've either been consolidated with a, a larger firm or just flat out, you know, don't they don't exist anymore. Um, so framing is a challenge. Um, some of our artists have had difficulty with quality of getting stretcher bars and canvases made. Um, packing materials has changed. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, it's like yeah. anything in this, in this climate, everything is different right now. So have you ever thought about, you know, thinking vertically, maybe you all do the framing? Yes, I have thought about it. Um, yeah. I have seriously considered it and I'm on the fence about doing that for the, <laughs> um, it, right. it requires more people and more oversight. And I think more space, more space, yeah. equipment. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what we, you know, talking about sort of, you know, as industries change, there's new opportunities that, that come out of that. Um, sounds like maybe uh, for, for logistics and, and framing and those more sort of behind the scenes, uh, um, you know, the supply chain part of it, right? Where is, is where maybe the most disruption has taken place. That, that's definitely the, well, let me, let me add a thing. That is definitely an area where there's been, um, there's been issues, but yeah. the last three years has also done a number on many artists, um, mental state. And so because they're typically introverts to begin with, they spend a lot of time with themselves. They, um, have had a challenge making artwork that maybe is is saleable. Um, yeah. Many many artists have gone into a. I'm sorry. Many of my artists have gone into a deep dark place of. I'm depressed. I'm I'm yeah. having a hard time creating something, and I mean I. It, it's hard from a gallery perspective it's got to be a hundred times worse from an artist's perspective because I at least have the, the exposure to the clients and artists don't often have um, an audience that they can sound, be a sounding board to them. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. Mm -hmm.